Hi there, and welcome to episode 99. Getting close to the big one, but right now we have an equally, if not even bigger one. Uh, my very, very, very good friend, Sakshi Tikmo, has kindly come in and had a chat uh, with me with regards to sexualization, and we moved into uh, the intricacies of identity uh, with regards to sexualization. And a topic that I didn't really sort of get my head around uh, until sort of partway through, and you'll probably identify the point where I finally, it clicks, uh, and then makes sense to me for the rest of the episode. But I, I love these episodes that make me think and challenge what I already know. So, uh, yeah, big ups to Sakshi, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. G'day, my name's Brock Cook, and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. It didn't. I think it did. It it didn't. At least until the last one or two years i don't think it did it was it was very mechanical and i i i was an accident it, it was it was it's very robotic i just wanted to do something as a healthcare professional um but i did not want it to be an obgyn because i wanted to come home and sleep at night so that was my priority so would that yeah. have stopped you that's, sleeping that's, at night that's, that's, that's it's very accidental and we have a very different procedure no, <laughs> no, but no, um, we have, no, we have a very different way. Unlike how it happens for the rest of the world that you apply for OT schools. That is not how it happens in India. You have a common entrance exam and your qualifications or whatever you score in that common entrance exam qualifies you to courses that you want to choose. So you can fill out a preference list about which courses and colleges you want. And depending on how the national ranking or everything would be, would decide which of the preferences that I've listed will get me a college or a course. So I think I had about six or seven preferences listed, all about physiotherapy and occupational therapy. And I think speech, uh, speech and language pathology. But I fortunately landed up with occupational therapy. That's so, um. That's, that's the whole story. That's how it works here. Is yeah. but you do not apply. No. Is is no. it? So you do. There's uh essentially a you get a, you get uh, a score, a national score. We call it. Oh, it's just, it's just changed. It used to be an OP score. Now it's an ATAR or something. It used to be out of twenty five, and now it's out of I don't even know what it's out of now. A hundred or something. Um, and you essentially put in preferences um, prior to getting your score of what sort of courses you'd want and what universities you'd like to do it at. Uh, and then you need to essentially attain, it's like an entrance score, you need to attain a level better than uh, the the courses that you're applying for in order to be eligible kind of thing to get into them. So yeah, it works, it works pretty similar here. There's a, we, it doesn't work here like it does in the States where you just sort of apply to schools. And, Is it? Hmm. Seem shocked. I know that I did not know that. Well, there you go. Because I, 
I am. I am because I because I it's a very stupid thing to do. <laughs> I still think it's a very stupid system. I could have a lot of things um I could have done better at least for the first 3 years of my undergrad. I I could have made people understand occupational therapy better. I could have learned occupational therapy better, but I didn't do that until like my final year or like when I actually started working with clients and I knew that I really wanted to be or you know talk about sexuality and why is that not happening and like the whole idea of looking for resources sort of made me realize that there are so many incompetencies or I I am incompetent in the way of um talking about sexuality or even dealing with it so that that in turn was quite revealing and so that is when i think ot family when when i realized that sexuality is something that i really want to be doing or talking and was that i think that is how ot family was that while you were still at university or was that after you'd finished while i was still at university okay see that's an that's an interesting perspective i haven't had anyone on here that's actually talked about almost like the f- philosophical finding of OT everyone takes that as a very literal question um so I like this I like this this is a good start <laughs> so you wanted to talk about sexualization specifically you've done a couple of other podcasts uh with other podcasters around sexuality and OT um one on OT and chill and one on OT for life and I'll throw links for people that want to catch up on that stuff uh, on those two podcasts, the, uh, there was a third. Was there a third? Arthritis Life. Arthritis Life. Yeah. Okay. So I'll throw links to all three of those uh, into the show notes for anyone who wants to catch up on that stuff. But yeah. uh, today you specifically wanted to talk about sexualization. Uh, and I'm keen to hear, uh, I think many people with even just that word specifically probably have something that flashes up when they hear that word. Uh, an idea around what it is, etc. So I'm keen to hear what your uh, perspective is around that, uh, specifically with, I guess, OT, obviously, uh, and how that differs from, like, for me anyway, for what's flashing up in my head. So what, when you're talking about sexualization, what are you actually talking about? Mm, so I think, um, so So when we talk about um sexuality as a whole we we say that has we talking about in terms of five circles um actually six with the central circle being our core values and knowledge about our own sexuality and the other circles surrounding it include sensuality which is basically a more mindful approach and a more sensory approach to understanding of our body um intimacy then there is gender identity and sexual identity orientation that is clubbed in one circle um then there is sexual health and reproductive health and finally comes the sexualization circle which it, it's called as the, like the shadowy side of sexuality or like the dark side of sexuality i call it in better ways the id of sexuality because that is how it is and it 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 is a way of being more raw more organic talks about your fetishes things that you want to do it's something it's it, it's it's trying to draw that fine line between thinking about doing certain things and actually finding somebody to do it with or not do it with so you in your head sort of realize that this is the boundary that you're kind of trying to draw with your fetishes or your pink or your desires and 
while it does have some good parts, which is floating and seducing, I mean, those are like the fun parts that you're trying to do. Um, it also includes some some of the not so good parts, which which does include manipulation, gaslighting, convincing somebody, trying to. Um, so it, it could be non-consensual assault, rape, um, and all of the other things that that fall into this uh, area. Even some sub-debatable um, areas of voyeurism, exhibitionism, and pedophilia. These are also something that fall under sexualization. So it's like two sides of the coin. That is how it is. Because I think, I, I think initially when you talk about sexualization, my initial thought had nothing to do with sex at all. Um, but more, I think what we see a lot of in, I guess, I don't know, it might be the same there, but in, in Western society of like sexualization of something, it could be an object or like we see it a lot with like magazines and <laughs> where things are sexualized in order to, you know, sell more products or promote more, whatever it is. Um, and I guess to a degree, it sounds like what you're referring to is the same thing. It's the sexualization of something that isn't inherently sex. I, I was going to say sexual, but sex. Um, so like you said, it's flirting, fetishes, all that kind of stuff, um, which on their own, if you take this sex aspect out of it, isn't usually an inherently sexualized, for lack of a better term, thing. Um, but it's, I guess, the act of turn, yeah. <laughs> turning that into a, uh, I don't know, a, a sexual activity. Yeah, I think like it's like objectifying. So one of the things with nudity, I think that's that's most of the times that you see things. If somebody poses something or somebody is posing something nude, um, somebody shows off some skin, some cleavage, everything. I think that's the way of how we sort of respond to it and that that reflects in our language so i think we have used we have loosely used and in a, in, in a more slang manner we have tried to use the way sexualization but what we're right, actually trying to say is that it's our language through which we are trying to say that or objectifying somebody else so i would rather use the word objectifying whenever i have to say that but i would also like to throw in the word language mm-hmm. because it sort of changes the entire context of what the way that you look at a person or the way you talk about that person. Okay. I think I'm following. So when you <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because uh, I like all these sort of uh, discussions where the use of language is challenged or the, the, the types of language or the, you know, the specific words that we use are challenged. Um, I find that stuff very interesting because a lot of people, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't think about usually. They just do it. They're, you know, you use objectifying language uh, just because, one, who knows why? There's a thousand reasons why, but most people don't know what the reason is that they're using it. It's just, it just, it's just how it has always been, so that's what happened. Um the Instagram thing is interesting because I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to because everyone has seen it on Instagram. Um, you know, there's a lot of Instagram models, influencers <laughs> that I think use uh, what Ugh. I assume you would refer to as objectifying or sexualizing uh, 
themselves essentially to promote a product or a, whatever it is it could be anything it could be socks who knows um i've seen quite a lot of people selling just weird things by posting pictures of themselves in a bikini or something like that <laughs> actually both now there, there's like a fine i I've, i have no idea because um i i do not I'm not the kind of person who'd be very open to showing skin on social media when I am talking about something very professional, but that's just me, right? But there are also people who find comfort in exposing all of themselves on social media, and they do not care that it would influence or reflect any way in their professional uh, identity, which is true, which is fair. But there comes a time when a, a person or like the audience who who is sort of receiving all of this content thinks that if a professional is trying to with and the profession any any professional who's trying to or any sexuality content creator is who's out there trying to post a picture of themselves naked or not naked in fully clothed or just nothing just showing their butt crack it's they are doing it for themselves 90% of the time it is they are doing it for themselves they do not they actually do not give a shit about what people would be thinking about this or what what's going to happen it's their account it's their page and they and that it is their way of saying that this is how we voice our sexual freedom and this is a way of sexual liberation for us which is huge which is huge because for them for people who constantly talk about sexuality a lot it's often assumed that they know everything and everything sorted for them they they wouldn't they wouldn't suffer or they they wouldn't have many sexual concerns because they have the knowledge but it's it's as good as saying that a doctor won't get sick because well they are doctor, doctor. Yeah. it's it's as stupid <laughs> it's it's as stupid as saying that i mean come on but when but see that's that's the whole dynamics that go behind creating or being a sexuality content creator on instagram or or any other social media for that matter but as an audience or somebody who is receiving this content we think that it is essential for any sexuality content creator to show skin because that in that actually means that they are comfortable in their own skin and that is what makes them worthy of talking about sexuality now it's a completely different message and that is how and that is when i say that you are trying to sexualize nudity you are not objectifying person in any way you are not saying that ob- ob- objectifying would be oh this is very sexy or you know own your curves or whatever that is the person does not care you don't have to tell them to own their curves they're already doing it right so that's the fine line between sexualization and objectifying you have made an own idea and you've sort of named it in a way something about their body or something about them i think that you've already made an opinion about which you really do not need to have and then that comes that comes the area of sexualization when they like oh they are naked i mean it should be as casual as scrolling through oh oh my god i was going to say <laughs> when a dog picture comes up and then suddenly a dog is peeing it's as same as that you know your reaction when oh there's a dog oh a dog is peeing but that's me actually when okay <laughs> who posts pictures <laughs> of a dog as, peeing it should be as casual as doing that at cas- I've seen what you do when what you see you a dog picture. What are you doing on Instagram? I've seen what you do when you see a dog picture. There's nothing casual about it. There is a like heart melting, you just turn into a gooey blob on the floor. There is no casual <laughs> to your seeing dog pictures. I can guarantee you that. 
<laughs> so that is a terrible example. I'm I'm talking about a normal, a normal person, normal human reaction okay. to dog pictures. Yes, uh, it's not me. It's definitely not <laughs> normal you. human reaction to dog pictures. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So you, so not you spot on. Yeah. So the I, I guess what you're aiming for with trying to explore the conversation around sexualization is to normalize it would that be correct or am i way off um not normalize it but um understand that there i i first of all hate the word normalization because okay. i think what are we trying to normalize there's nothing normal nothing is normal and nothing is ever going to be normal and who is who gets to decide the standards for normal and not normal so i i i just ended up whenever it comes to sexuality and people are like oh do you think this is normal i just say that as long as it does not harm me or anybody anybody else in the community as long as everybody's safe and they are minding their own business everything's good that's it it's as simple as that so i nothing that i do at least now i've stopped saying that i want to normalize conversations i'm i've just given up that word i'm like just mind your own business learn if you can if you don't want to just walk away do not have an opinion you do not want to learn about certain things and then keep saying that i mean you should this should be normalized but you would do nothing in your capacity to make sure that these conversations are normalized and then you would suddenly have an opinion about oh this should not be happening these people should not be in a relationship what is a thropple all of these things are not going to be allowed so you want things to be normal and you still won't allow people to mind their own business so is it mainly stuff on social media that you're concerned about or is this sort of conversations happen in real life as well oh everything everything what what so i'll tell you at least for 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 anybody who's 30 and below okay i'll i'm giving you an age right, because I'll, i'll just stand that up is here something that i have evidently seen <laughs> no but i'll tell you what um it just shows how how people are going to be more receptive i'm pretty sure it has got nothing to do with age as well but people below 30 are still struggling to understand how how much inclusive they want to be and what inclusivity actually means you know so that is the reason why i say sexualization is very very tricky seducing a person is okay flirting with a person is okay anything that that makes your sexuality look playful approachable is okay it is it does not harm anybody it is it is it does not harm you or anybody in the community that that's that's something that's not happening however when you start using it as the way of convincing somebody that is when the consent comes in when it comes to sexualization there is the the lines of consent become very blurry with sexualization and that is the most important thing when we speak of voyeurism or exhibitionism that's why i said it's much more controversial because if done in a consensual way and in a role play manner it's it's okay it's happening consensually that is why bdsm and king do not anymore fall under the area of sexualization but but the idea that uh, the consent is not something that's a bigger part of bdsm it's just rough play or something of that sort 
is is why the whole lines become a little blurry so like i said sexualization has a huge role to play with communication and consent the moment that goes away the moment that people do not agree to it it turns into an assault and abuse gaslighting them and more so that is when the whole dark side of it comes into picture still getting my head around it i'm i'm slow so bear with me <laughs> but no it's okay does it it's okay would it, i get it it's too much it's too much no no it's not it's interesting i'm just trying to understand it so that i don't put my foot in it <laughs> uh is it something like you you spoke a lot about um other people having their opinions on you know what you're doing or what you're posting etc would it be fair to look at sexualization as almost uh, like almost opinion projecting from another person? Like, oh, so I would yes. you know, sexualize something that you're doing, some activity. It could be, let's pick any mundane activity, walking, say walking the dog because you like dogs. And I've got this opinion for whatever reason that, you know, <laughs> that that's a bad thing. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make the activity itself a bad thing. It just means that, like, obviously our communication around that particular activity is very limited. I'm projecting my opinion on that activity and therefore my my mind is sort of made up around whether that's good, bad, whether you should be seen doing it, whether, you know, it's healthy, whether it's something that everyone should be doing or everyone should be avoiding and how dare she do that in front of other people kind of thing. Is that, am I on the right track? Lots of Absolutely. Nodding. Okay, good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, you are. Good. You are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is. Yes. Yes. So that, that's like, like I said, that's like the first step of when you cross the boundary and enter, enter to the idea of sexualization. But when it becomes a little more physical or more emotional, um, Im- when it, whenever it turns into the area of physical or emotional abuse is what leads to rape or, you know, um, releasing any pictures that you have of your uh, spouse or partner or anything of that. So that's the consequence. So it's like that is how it builds. And that's that is ex- when that's the extreme end. the whole idea that, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the extreme yeah. end. But... This is how it starts. Yeah, yeah. This is how it starts. And 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 even if that's not that's happening with partners or with somebody else, what happens next to it with social media is that you can easily call out people, right? So you will just share something. If somebody says something that's, that's not appropriate, you're going to share on the stories, say that, keep calling them out. So the whole idea of having a conversation with the person itself is lost. So... Even when we do not, even when we do not realize that we have casually made a mistake by saying that this is how something has been, or this is how it will be taken, because everything around us is sensitive at the moment. Hmm. And even if you're talking about sexuality, there's so much to cope up with. I, 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 I can't even I can't cope up with everything that keeps coming up, everything that keeps changing. So imagine for a person who is not even dealing about it, they are like. Okay, so I think the, it, it took two years for people to at least get a hang of pronouns. And now we are also talking about sexual orientations. And now we are also talking about sexualization. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's actually becoming very difficult for everybody to keep a track of 
what the hell is happening? We were just supposed to have sex. So it's <laughs> it's as simple as that. But yeah. So <laughs> it, it sounds very much to sort of, I guess, get your own head around where your head is uh, with regards to sexualization is a very much a, I guess, a self-reflection kind of exercise to work out what your like the way I'm looking at it at the moment is kind of like a lens. Like I view every activity through this, say, a, let's call it a sexualization lens about whether or not my brain is going to interpret something as you know sex related or sex adjacent, whatever you want to call it. Um, how how does um how does that lens develop? Like, is it based on you know? previous i'm assuming it would have something to do with you know your own personal previous sexual experience your own culture same as most lenses say your own culture your own values beliefs um that kind of stuff is there anything else specifically related to that particular lens um that people need to be i guess aware of how they've sort of developed in order to have a good idea of what their their lens looks like and how it functions That's, why, that's the reason why I mentioned the age mark is because social media. The social media and ent- ent- entertainment industry have such a huge role to play. Such a huge role to play because when I had to say things, um, if, if I used to look at somebody and it's like, oh, this is perfect. This looks flawless. This is amazing. She looks sexy. They look sexy. That is how the words went on. It was beautiful, sexy, and something of that sort. It wasn't about a person just being there and appreciating that, oh, it's fine. This is casual. But they have glamorized nudities so glamorized nudity so much. And some of them have taken it into their hands of empowerment. So you have attached such huge words and responsibilities to your naked body that everybody sort of just thinks everybody sort of just thinks around in that direction now. That it is empowering to have to, to be naked. It's okay with if whatever you wear, it's okay to do whatever you want to do. But it doesn't have to. It shouldn't It shouldn't have to be about, let's keep normalizing, let's keep normalizing, let's keep normalizing. It's your opinion to have, but make sure that opinion isn't projected on somebody else. If you think that does not look good, keep it to yourself. And this should be an acceptable thing. It should be an acceptable thing. We cannot force people to do a lot of things. The same way that people can't force us to change our opinions about certain things, you know, that you, why, why is it you just want to be more inclusive or things things like that it's, it's not a slang or something that we're trying to do but we're trying to mind our own business and condition our brain saying that you know this is okay this is not extraordinary it's fine i think so that, i'm making it more over the top that yeah yeah i think that's the same no yeah same sort of advice that i i've given students with regards to any lens that they have and especially due, uh, with regards to clinical settings is you know the example I've given in the past is like I've worked with convicted pedophiles and I know a lot of people in the class uh, would go, oh my God, like I couldn't do that. Like that's against my values. And it's it's not the explanation I have to give is like me working with that person isn't condoning what they've done. And it doesn't mean that I agree with pedophilia like or anything like that. Like I'm working with that person for a specific thing, OT related, and once it's done, it's done, and they're discharged or they move on from the service, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
but it's important for me in order to be able to deliver the best service that I possibly can that yes I'm aware of you know where my morals and where my values sit with regards to that specific instance but I don't let it get in the way of me being able to deliver the service that I'm actually there to deliver. And I feel like it's the same or a very similar uh, process with regards to sexualization in that, yeah, you, you like you said before, it's, it's fine to have whatever opinion it is. You could, you know, still be, you know, you're not allowed to show your ankles because that's too much skin or whatever your opinion is. Like, that's fine, but you still need to be aware that everyone an individual and we are living in a society that is uh becoming ever more and more and more liberal with you know what is uh i guess wider uh, widely socially acceptable um and that may it's to a point now i think 50 years ago 100 years ago what the majority of people personally accepted and what was socially acceptable was probably a much closer thing than it is now where i think nowadays and like you said because there's so much as well like back in the day it probably was like how much skin you exposed versus you know proper matters like whatever the juxtaposition was um nowadays there's so many different things there's you know kinks fetishes different sexual orientations different any everything's uh that it's kind of hard to try and boil it down to nudity and that i think is still the yardstick unfortunately like i feel like there's probably some uh what would you call them i guess you could call them fetishes that people either don't even think about or don't sexualize as much because they don't uh portray as much nudity as others so things like people who are you know this might sound weird people that are into feet there's a lot of people that wouldn't think that Mm. that's like oh my god that's horrible that's horrible that you can't do that to people probably and i think it's because it's not something that traditionally requires nudity to you know enjoy if that's your thing, then you don't need nudity to enjoy it. It's still a fetish. It's still, you know, someone's thing. But I still think we're using an old yardstick to measure something that really doesn't fit that new me- that, that yardstick, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And, and this is also where, you know... Um, we, we, and with this yardstick, I think I mentioned inclusivity and how inclusive we are, right? So that, that's just another drop of it. We weren't inclusive before. There were like a set of rules which were supposed to be followed or there would have been consequences, right? So that is how it was. But in today's age, there is not, there's so much diversity in inclusivity. <laughs> there's extreme diversity in inclusivity. And you there's it's never going to be enough and that is that is the whole idea that again i want to put with a new yardstick is that just accept the fact that you cannot always be inclusive you are going to leave out some population in some or the other way even even as when i speak even when i speak i don't think 
I would still leave somebody who who cannot access podcasts or somebody who is deaf. I, I'm still going to leave them out in some way, right? Or when when I talk through my platform, I I don't always have captions, so I am leaving out certain population. But that does not mean that I I do not want to serve that population, right? So that was that's that's one of the biggest things with inclusivity that the more we keep using it. it it's good it should be there but we also need to make peace with the fact that we cannot in a very realistic and in the most practical of senses we won't be able to be inclusive because it's entirely impossible to do that but you can always try and this is one of the ways of trying where we are like we understand everything and and sexualization does play a huge role in that because it is still a part of our circle of sexuality it is still there but it's your values that decide how it's going to be that's why you have that core value or the core circle of sexuality as your values and sexual knowledge because that is something that will influence and make sure that your sexualization is under control so your id is under control your ego and id need to work together right so a little bit of id can go loose so whenever you want to be more playful cheerful and everything you you find your sense right that you can use it id is not bad but when you go batshit crazy that's when it's go bad you still need to have your ego in place and ego will also come from the idea of managing this whole idea of inclusivity and how much more of sexualization do you want it's uh, i what something you said just before really sort of struck me as something that i've thought for a long time but it's one of those things that i think as OTs, everyone's afraid to talk about is that you cannot be completely inclusive. Yeah, as hard as that might be for you to hear, even universal design isn't universal. Shock. I'm sorry if that's new it to is. you. Um, it, it's not to say it's that... It's not. It's not. But I, I think the thing is, it's not to say that, okay, why bother? We give up. Like, that's not how it works. It's kind of, it's, and I've spoken about this a few different times on different different episodes with different examples, but it's one of those things where it's almost like that is the goal and we continually take steps towards towards it. We may not ever actually make it, but every step that we take towards it improves things for people. So it's one of those kind of, of goals as opposed to something that you know we can't really work backwards from it because at the moment there's no way to actually do it um and i actually think that's a good thing because if there was a way that we could do something that would include absolutely everyone then everyone would be the same that would be the only way that you can actually do it and the fact that we can't means that everyone is an individual and there are you know, millions of different interests and ideas and thoughts and values and all that kind of stuff in the people that we work with, the populations that we work with, and in ourselves, our friends, our family, and all of that. So that, to me, is kind of a good thing. If you're going to look for the silver linings, that's it. Um, the fact that, you know, we're not living in a Orwellian dystopian future where everyone's the same and, you know, everyone's a robot kind of thing. So... <laughs> But yeah, like I said, don't stop. Don't just give up because oh no, can't we can't be inclusive? So why bother? That's that's not how it works. But also know that 
you need to focus on the next step as opposed to the destination. Like you should be with most goals, in my opinion, anyway. But if you're not, then this is one instance where you should be. Absolutely. You have to be. There's, there's no other way to do it. I mean, as forget about my personal choices, my personal opinions or anything else. The moment I become a professional or I step into that professional shoes, everybody hates me because I am acceptable to most of the things that you tell me. I'm not going to judge or I do not have an opinion. So I think people would hate me as a professional more. At least the people who know me or my friends who are closer to me, they'd be, they would they, they almost find this inclusivity attitude annoying, <laughs> I would say. But because they know me as a person and, and they know that I have very strong opinions about some things. But then the moment I turn into a professional, I know that I have to be more sensitized to everything that comes my way and sort of understand and listen about things. One of, I think one of the another areas and like the perfect example to, to like put in the area here is um, polyamory or polygamous relationships. So the other day, I think I shared, so there was one news article which said that um, um, in, in like Hindus ideally are not supposed to have, like they can't marry two people at the same time. I, that's not a law here yet. So even if, so I think a man married two women. I saw you, I saw that article you posted. And yeah. Yeah, I, and it happened consensually and I was like, why are people mocking this? This is another reason why they are like, oh my God. So that's, that's, it's, 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 it's this very little way of saying and, and the little way of using your language and understanding that they've already sexualized it. They've already sexualized it when it is a different kind of sexual orientation and it is very empowering for people like that. And then somebody actually called out and told me that, you know, this, this is not allowed in Hindu law. And do you believe in that? I'm like, polygamous and polymoral relationships as a, as a human, I do not like it. I do not understand it. It's not something that I would do in my personal life. As a professional, I understand that there are so many more layers to it that it just blows my mind, the kind of communication, the kind of trust and empathy and everything else that the people that are in the relationship share with each other. And I, I haven't seen it in other clients. Even with partners, even with heterosexual partners, I haven't seen that kind of a communication and understanding and empathy towards each other, which these three or four people would be sharing with each other. And that is how I've realized that when I changed my role as a healthcare professional, the idea of sexualization in itself changes a lot because the mindset has been changed. I am more acceptable. I, I am, I'm going to meet you at, your, at a more human level, Right. If, if somebody somebody comes to me and says that they have assaulted somebody, they, they have been in that position, they have been punished, it's not my job to say that I already hate you. If you need a service, I will be obliged to do, do that service in whatever way I can. And if I cannot, it, it's my responsibility to refer you to somebody who can and who's okay with that, whose judgment won't come in a picture while, while treating you or anything. So that is... It's a very, it's a very unconscious way of saying that sexuality does keep working, mm. but that is how it can change the moment you change your role. Uh-huh. I have the privilege and the opportunity of switching to a professional role. Others may never have it. I think just as a, so with regards to the polyamorous, uh, the article that you posted, which I did see on on Instagram when you posted, it, I'm like, oh, that's 
interesting because uh, obviously not many people would be familiar specifically with Hindu law, but I think there's plenty of other countries with laws that would also inhibit, if not prohibit, um, that kind of marriage. But I think the idea being that, uh, similar to what we were speaking about before, that you know people that have grown up with these laws as shaping their own values so essentially the laws have shaped people's lenses with regards to sexuality in that you know only this kind of marriage or only this kind of relationship is um allowed for lack of a better term um find it very would normally and quite often find it very difficult to get their head around and understand other variations of relationships or variations of marriages such as polyamory or there's um there's a whole range of them but i can't remember off the top of my head um and it generally in some of the new stuff that i've seen does result in either outrage or ridicule uh depending on the kind of uh, relationship or the kind of marriage that um they're talking about given that i am specifically saying marriage and not wedding because i understand that there is a whole religious connotation to weddings and i respect that specific religions might want to maintain their traditions that's fine but that shouldn't stop anyone from uh having the wedding the the union whatever you want to label it uh that they're that they want essentially not that just that they are comfortable with just whatever they want really um like you mentioned at the start if it's not hurting anyone it's not harming anyone it's not anything else and like you said some uh with regards to specifically polyamorous i was gonna say couples then but that doesn't make any sense polyamorous people uh <laughs> in a however many there are in a particular relationship generally to even get to that stage i'd imagine your communication has to be off the charts uh like it, it's most people find it hard enough with one partner let alone trying to negotiate and communicate well <laughs> well enough to maintain a relationship that they then want to marry multiple people uh their communication would seem to have to be like really up there in order to do that which I don't think anyone, if I left out the polyamory part of that example, I don't think anyone would go, that's a terrible thing. How dare you have such amazing communication? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you add that little detail, and I say little detail knowing full well that someone's going to go, that's not a little detail. But the fact that I changed <laughs> the story in that slight way, add a little bit of context, uh, changes people's mm-hmm. opinions on it completely, which... Yes, it should change it a little bit in that you go, oh, there's another person there. But again, if it's not harming you or hurting you, again, it's not something that I've ever had any experience with, but it's something that I can, like you said, like I can look at that almost objectively and go, cool. That's. I think the first question that pops in my head every time is, with consent yep. and, and, and when they interviewed um, all three of them and they were like, yeah, it's consensual. We share our roles. The wife, this, this person takes this role. The other wife takes up this role and, and the guy keeps talking about his role in the family and contribution. I'm like, 
this is perfect nobody talks about even having those kind and it's not specifically gender roles and in the in the technical way that i mean but gender roles in the way that every every value and every belief that person brings into this relationship and not the typical way of saying this is the wife this is a wife she'll be cleaning she'll be washing i'll be going to work that is not how it is but they have to find their gender roles in this in this dynamic and in this relationship on how it's supposed to be work how it's going to be working out for them and that requires a lot of a lot of communication a lot of it lot lot i <laughs> see that even what you just said then is something that i was thinking about the other day when you said you wanted to talk about sexualization just the concept of gender roles like why can't they just be roles like it could be relationship roles like you two three four seven people in a relationship yes. may have different yes. roles they may divvy them out or work them out hopefully on a strength-based approach where everyone's doing you know what they're good at kind of thing but why and i get that similar to like we're talking about with your sort of sexualization lens that some of this stuff may have been shaped by how you grew up and your influences and that kind of thing and that very may well play into a pattern that is traditionally maybe a gender role, but doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, like, for example, like I can sew, I can clean, can't knit, but I can sew, which traditionally I would think probably isn't a I can't knit air either, quotes, so. like male gender role. Like I can sew better than my wife. So if anything needs mending... It's me that does it, <laughs> um, which again, like I said, traditionally, my a lot of people may not look at that as, oh, that's a you know, that's a, a female gender role. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm the one that can do it. I would rather do it myself because I know how to do it. She doesn't know how to do it. Like, why would I give her anything to repair if she doesn't know how to do it? When there's other things that she can do, that I'm rubbish at or don't like doing like washing which probably does still fit into that traditional (laughs) gender role but that's not the reason why it's done like we don't necessarily separate things i'm the boy and she's the girl like we separate things based on what we're good at or what we enjoy doing or if there's things that we both hate doing then we might flip a coin like it's not how we roll for lack of a better pun But that also gives like this, it gives an, like, it's a good, sorry, it gives you an amazing twist to the entire conversation because I'll tell you how the comments roll down when the whole, so this is like, I'm just continuing with the same example. Everybody started commenting and saying that he must be so lucky. It's, it's, it's the most simplest of sentences, but it speaks so loud. It speaks so loud about what your default reaction to most things is. And it is a reaction. It's not a mindful response to something. It is a reaction. And that is aid of sexuality or sexualization in all its glory. In all its glory. So, And that that is something that happens all all the time. And that's when the whole language and gender roles, everything comes into picture. You know, because this is how we see it. It's good for him. Or it's going to be good for that one one partner or typically a male figure, it's going to be good for them. I don't see why, but it's good for them. Or even 
Yeah. Uh, like I, I've seen conversations on, on shows and articles around, specifically around polyamory, where the, people's initial reaction or first... Actually, there was a TV show here that ran uh, for a number... Actually, I think it's still going um, for a number of weeks. It was called You Can't Ask That, and they would bring in a population of people and ask them the questions that most people were afraid to ask. And one of the episodes was on uh, polyamory, and they brought in a, a number of polyamory uh, people in polyamorous relationships, um, and people essentially submitted the questions that they were too afraid to ask. And the number one question that all of them said that they usually get asked is like sleeping arrangements. And I'm like, why is that the like? Why would that be the first thing? Like, my thing is like, how do you not kill each other? Like, I this. <laughs> How do you get along with that many people in the one house? Like, that would be my sort of thing. And let's say, like, I actually have a friend uh, who is in polyamorous relationship. Um, and my question to them is usually around the communication stuff because that's the stuff that I'm like, that's the hard thing from my perspective. Oh. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. Uh, being good at communication with one person to me is, like, hard. Um, oh. trying to be that to that level, like relationship level of communication with multiple people would, I, I don't, I, there would be no time to work. That would take up my whole day. See, that's when I said, you know, we do not see, we do not understand the, the boundary of the boundary and the consent that the whole line itself becomes so blurry. But every time we talk about sexualization in all of these terms, when we are talking about fetishes or even having threesomes for that matter, threesomes or quadruples or whatever that happens, I do see clients like that and I cannot wrap my head around it because I'm like, this is not what mom taught me. This was not going to happen. This is not something that I was informed of. So as professional, I'm like, okay, what is going to happen? And what am I supposed to know? Am I not supposed to know? And I came out clean, you know. I always say that before my head and like the, my my normal personal brain is like, you know what? There are going to be too many jokes. There are going to be too many things that come in your head. You want to know what they're doing. Why are they doing this? It's not supposed to happen. I take a moment and actually start talking to them. I'm like, how does this work? How does this work for you? How, how do you stay together? Is somebody married? Is somebody not married? Um, is somebody in a relationship, does the, does the third or the fourth partner come in occasionally or does it happen all the time? Sometimes when you ask questions that really matter and are not focused to sex, things make a lot more sense. Relationships make a lot more sense, you know. Um, and the perfect way of saying that to anybody who must, who must be listening to this, the first question that you asked me, Brock, was uh, did I find Oti or did Oti find me? And you weren't interested to know what's what's actually happening, but everybody wants to know why you became an occupational therapist or what was your idea behind being an occupational therapist. That just sets the whole context for the entire conversation. And that is exactly how it should be for whenever we are talking about sexualization or things that we cannot wrap our head around. Do not focus on what's going to be happening in the bedroom. Focus on what's happening because bedroom is only going to be, I don't know, 40% of their lives, other 60% is them living a normal life. I'm still giving 40% to it. 40%? Some of them that's are cr- that's in... A, that's I'm a lot of credit. Giving... <laughs> 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 All right. 
I'm getting it. I'm, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, you're, in, I'm not you're sure including so. you're including sleep in that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am. Yeah, okay, good. Oh, I am. I was, oh, my God. I was, oh. I was sexualizing your comment and I actually have some... just went, holy moly, 40%. <laughs> wow. I'm still giving it credit. I'm still saying that it. the 60% of their lives is about the same way that you do. They, they do watch TV. They are supposed to hang out with their friends. They are supposed to go out on dates. They are supposed to have real life conversations. They do have real life struggles. Um, they also plan about their future. Um, how, how is it going to be? Where, when do we meet? How do we meet? There's a lot of planning and organization and praxis if you really want to with occupational therapists. That, that, is, that still happens. Their occupations aren't restricted to having sex, um, but it's, it's just one of the ways that they express themselves sexually. And that's just a, a little segment, which I am allotting 40% to. Wow. All power tool. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's so much. Yeah. Sorry, but like that's a, that's that's my whole point. There's so that's so much more to it, and that is what sexualization does. You you make it like hundred percent of the individual's life. Yeah, which is not the situation. And I think it's it, I, I think that's interesting, and I can't speak directly to it but i would imagine and i there are people i can ask about this and i will after this episode but i would imagine that for a lot of people potentially it's a very similar situation with something like sexual preference and that kind of thing where okay yeah that's you know where they well that that part of their life makes up the you know 40 percent or whatever that they're spending time with or, you know, sleeping with or whatever they're doing with whoever it is that they choose, but there's still all of these other aspects of their life that either are minimally impacted or not impacted at all by that particular decision, whereas to the outside world who lacks critical thinking skills, they're a gay person or they're a whatever. Like, that's they're almost... Painted as this is their this is their entirety, uh, as opposed to this is an aspect of their personality. Like there's still a lot more to people than anything. Take out all of yes. the sex stuff, sexuality, sex, everything. There's still, say, in your example, there's still let's say sixty percent of that person, which is you know more than half that we still need to get to know. Besides just those. What I would consider, and again, I'm talking from a very privileged place uh, and a, a very somewhat sheltered place, uh, minor details in the grand scheme of somebody's life. Yeah, and um, I think this is, um, so I, I think um, Dev have had given me the opportunity of being a panelist on Kota Diversity, or Ignite series in the way of how have we integrated um, LGBTQI inclusion in our practice, okay? Now, I do not keep saying that I am a bisexual again and again. Even though it's there, people wouldn't know that. They would just as she must be a straight person. She must be a straight person. But then I don't have to keep reminding people or keep telling them that I am a bisexual. And there's this whole idea of identities that comes into picture. And sadly, in, in the grand narrative of things and um, how how sexuality has 
you know, evolved over a period of time, we have associated identities either with gender or with sexuality. But ideally, identities were supposed to be the whole of you. And it is going to be the whole of me because I do not always say that I am an occupational therapist first. I always say that I'm a queer brown unicorn. I always say that. That's, that's my first way of defining myself. I always say that I'm a queer brown unicorn. And not like a brown unicorn, but like comma, comma, comma. Don't, yeah. don't. Three separate <laughs> but, yeah, descriptions. That, that, yeah. that is my identity. And that, yes, please, not a brown unicorn. I mean, yeah, that, that would be something different. But, okay. but yeah, that is, that is how I would like to define myself. That is, it, it identifies me the best. And, and I do not want to be called occupational therapist first. I, you can call me a unicorn first. That, that is the best way I relate to myself. That's the best way. If, if I was to, that's the way I see myself in the best possible manner. I am a unicorn. I see myself like that. And that's something that I get to choose. You can have an opinion about it and see that that's bullshit. You do not look like a unicorn. But I don't care. That's an identity I have defined for myself. And you either take it or leave it. That is how it is. But you do not always get to say that. Yeah, but like that's like I said, it's an identity that I have chosen for myself. And it's my choice to express how this identity will be used or what aspects of it am I going to be talking about. You don't know why I call myself a unicorn. But it's there. It's still there. And it's a part of my identity. And it has got nothing to do with what I do professionally, personally, about my own emotional relationships, my mental health, anything of that sort. It just says that this person likes unicorn. That's it. I was going to say, I know because so I asked. Identities, they become a lot. <laughs> that was one of the first things we no, connected on, if you remember. They become a lot more complex. And I meant specifically. I know, I, I know, specifically I do. A chat reference thing. is still. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and for those who don't know, the art, Instagram. Our Instagram chat theme is unicorn because that's how we are. <laughs> but no, but that is how identities go, you know, and I did not realize, and this was, this has been a recent uh, reflection that I've had in the past six or five, five or six months that I also started saying that I'm a Kashmiri and Hindu because Indian does not justify I, I i'll always be an indian i am that i am that desi person and everybody knows that but there's also a population of saying kashmiri and hindu is because you would find you would barely find i say three or four kashmiri occupational therapists in india that's how low the population is just for people and who don't understand can you just explain what kashmiri so, is so so Oh, so Kashmir is the north North Indian state of India, and uh, the people who used to reside there it's it's our caste. So religion is going to be Hinduism or etc. Buddhist, Jainism, and etc. So the religion is Hindu, but the caste within the Hindu is Kashmiri because we are the natives of Kashmir. So that is how it is. That's more. Um, it's like location. That just goes on to. Yeah, location-based. Yeah. So the caste is described according to the locations and where you're natives of, um, in India at least. Yeah. Um, so that is how it is. And it's a big part of my personality. A, a huge part of my personality. 
sovereignty and identity. It explains a lot of things about why I am the way I am, how do I understand grief, how, how do I process grief, uh, how am I supposed to project myself, why am I loud, why I could be inappropriate at times. And, it, and a lot of my culture and genetics do play a huge role in shaping that identity. Because, and I'm not saying entirely, but some of it does. Some of it does. I, I could look beautiful, but that is also because of my genetics. You know, I could decide that this is the kind of stuff I do not like that is a part of my culture or the genetics that have been coming from there. And culture does play a huge role. And you would see, even though it's it's the northern state, I think even with four or five northern states in India, you would see every North Indian person having a different identity of their own. And it does play a huge role because, because it does. <laughs> it is, it that is how identities are. You don't, you, you, you cannot choose everything. You do not get to choose each and every aspect of your identity. But you decide where to go on from there. Some people, even though they are born as Indian, um, so even though they do ha- have the religion of Hinduism, they choose not to practice that and convert to Buddhism. And that is something that they have chosen for the identity, an identity that they did not like. I like my identity and I'm keeping it that way. And that is how expansive it is supposed to be. And that is how expansive our sexuality even is. But when you look at it, it's still that tiny aspect and it boils down to that one thing. Oh, you are, you're queer. How are you queer? How, do, how can you be polymorous? And that is what it boils down to. But all the other things, the, all the other, like I said, the whole grand narrative of a person gets lost because if this one tiny part of identity is where you've labeled it to their sexuality. I wonder whether that's partly, I, I guess, not the mistake, but I guess partly influenced by things like the media in that, uh, say, oh, stick with the polyamory example, in that that's the, the sexuality side of that seems to be the prominent thing that's actually reported whenever it's talked about, whenever it's mentioned. It's never, you know, how do polyamorous families do their taxes? Like, it's never that sort of aspect of that kind of relationship that's discussed. (laughs) It's always like, you know, do you ever get jealous? Or, like, it's always that sexuality side of it that is the focus, even though, like you said, it makes up only a portion of... Uh, I guess that that choice as a whole, right? And and OTs talk about occupational profiles, right? We are all about occupations. We are suckers for occupations. So, is it our job to understand the other occupations or the identities that contribute to their occupations? Because most of the time, it's self-explanatory. Even when I speak of unicorns, you might think that I have this kind of a personality and you will always obviously have a question about why unicorn. Even a simple question of why unicorn can help you know of me that half of your job is done. You do not need to get into the depths of understanding what my occupational roles are, what my interests are, what my hobbies are. Because when I speak of even just explaining one of the aspects of my identity, 
it just tends to go on so much about the things that I want to do and things that I cannot do and things that matter a lot to me and are incorporated in my daily routines. And that's that's the power of identities. That is that is what it can help you do. It can help you understand the entire occupational profile of a person. It's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's that's lovely. But it is, and I, I do think <laughs> one thing I would like to uh, I guess not I don't want people to take away the fact that they just need to accept things and move on without understanding things because I don't think that that's wholly and solely the the message that we're trying to put across like like I said I mentioned before like I know about your unicorn stuff because I asked but I think it wasn't I didn't ask in a way that was my judgment on like what are you a child like why are you why unicorns don't exist so, like what are you going on like I didn't put my uh, lens of what you were identifying with or experiencing uh, across to you. I didn't try and push that onto you. I just more from a genuine curiosity point of view, which is how I try and do everything, these podcasts, everything in life really, uh, was, <laughs> okay, so like essentially like what what does the whole, what does the unicorn mean to you? Like obviously there's a reason you've chosen this to be part of your uh, at least very public identity, uh, the the public aspect of your identity. Um, like, what what does it mean to you? Like, I don't give a shit what it means to me, and I dare say you probably don't either. Um, but what does it mean to you? And that, I mean, you do for the simple thing that we had like a mutual thing, which happened to be unicorns that we both connected on. Um, so I guess that was a bad example because you were interested in that when you found that out, but you were not interested in what I think of you identifying with the unicorn is what I was trying to say. It's not going to change anything. If anything, it probably would have shut the conversation down and stopped any sort of relationship between us forming because that was like day one when we started chatting um, that all that happened. So like that probably would have inhibited any kind of rapport. It was the the ice, ice... Yeah, like the icebreaker. Yeah, I think it was the icebreaker for for us. Yeah, it was. It was. And that is how interesting um, sexualization could be, you know. Um, One, I think one of uh, of the clients that I had um, consensually wanted to explore role play with their partner, but also want to role play the idea of being raped. So that is something that, again, it, you would think that it, it's, it's bizarre. And she had, uh, she had some physical limitations because of which the idea of being raped could have gone actually very wrong for her health. So to plan out the entire incident with the partner and your role as an occupational therapist there and to to fulfill some to fulfill one of the occupations that does matter to her is is a completely different picture and that is what i say when i i have had the opportunity of exploring it with clients with the most bizarre bizarre ideas and goals that they have but that is what it can happen and that is what inclusivity can mean or sexualization can mean 
in in a professional practice for occupational therapists. That is how far it can get. You know, uh, polyamorous was one of the things. This has been one of the things. Exploring BDSM and fetish with clients again, even though it it is considered in the parts of sexualization, but also requires immense amount of communication and consent. It's it's the core of anything that happens there. So I think there's there's a lot more that occupational therapists will have to unpack with sitting with their clients, taking their occupational profiles, uh, and just trying to wrap their head around it because sometimes they're going to come up with the most most weirdest goals set set for themselves but something that is absolutely 100% 1000% more meaningful to them and i think it, it's interesting like obviously you work very much in the space where these conversations happen a lot you work with people uh to explore their sexuality, their sexual needs, desires, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these kinds of conversations, uh, I would imagine, happen for you a lot more often than, say, you know, Joe Blow hospital therapist. But I, I feel like these are conversations that, again, not sexualizing the conversations, but these are things that need to be explored with the people that we work with way more regularly than they actually are being at the moment because there's a lot of things to do with their living arrangements and that kind of stuff, their their choices, their preferences that have an impact on the gamut of occupations outside of just sex. Like we talked about earlier about like the example I gave as a joke, like how do polyamorous relationships do their taxes because i can guarantee you that most taxes are only set up for couples and i (laughs) so like that's the kind again even though i said it as a joke that's the kind of thing that might need to be looked at by an ot and that has absolutely zero to do with sex but you're going to need to understand one probably who might be able to help um, but also how that operates, how that works for that individual, or if you're working with more than just the individual, if you're working with the family, um, how it works in order to actually assist them in engaging in the occupations that they, they need, want, that kind of thing. So it's important that you're, I guess, I, I guess what we're trying to get the takeaway is you need to be one aware of your lens aware of how your thoughts are sexualized um when they are when they aren't what situations etc etc so that you can make sure that your thoughts aren't getting in the way of building your therapeutic relationships and doing the job that you're meant to be doing there um but also then being aware that these things that traditionally you may have associated with sexual or have been sexualized so you've traditionally associated them specifically with sex may like there's a lot of other aspects around those types of i don't even know what to call i would say let's call them living arrangements for for lack of a better term unless you have a better term um but there's there's (laughs) things around those living arrangements uh those choices by individuals 
that you need to explore and you need to be aware of and you need to be open to discussing with the people involved in order for you to, one, get the best picture of what's actually going on for that person with their life, not their sex life, but so that you can deliver the best service. And like like we talked about before with the unicorn example, if your initial reaction is to even just like scrunch up your face when they say something that isn't, uh, you know, 100% kosher with your beliefs and your values, that's it. Your therapeutic relationship is dead. You have just shit the bed on that one. So it's important that you're aware of what's going on for you so that you don't bring it in and it doesn't impact that therapeutic relationship. Am I right or am I way off? No, every time somebody tells me that they, how do we start going about talking about sexuality, formulating interventions? I don't know. There's this idea around how do we go about interventions? How are we doing this? I'm like, how much are you okay talking about anything and everything sexuality? And they're like, what do you mean? They always have this puzzled reaction. And that should not be the, I think I had that reaction when I initially started. And then when I asked this question to myself, I was like, oh my God. This is, this is stressful. This is stressful. And it could be for a professional who has never been taught about anything about sexuality, let alone there could be sexuality interventions. There are going to be more sexual orientations. This is what a sexual orientation could mean to a person. There's just so much subjectivity to it. But there's one thing that can help you get through everything is that how comfortable or how okay, I won't even say comfortable. There are so many times that I'm not comfortable but I sort of be okay with the idea that I am open to talking and listening anything about sexuality. You can throw anything at me and I'll still be okay as a healthcare professional to listen about it. Comfortable is questionable, but I'd still be okay listening about it. And my first reaction wouldn't be snapping. I'm like, oh shit, this is something that I don't know. And eventually I've got comfortable saying that I don't know how that works. Or I don't know, I haven't come across a client like that before. So is that going to be okay? Even that kind of a transparency helps you so much because a client knows that, and clients mostly do know that, that there is a lot happening with sexuality. There's a lot that people would want to know about it. People are curious. But when when you're put in that spot of knowing that you are open and you will try to understand whatever they say, Trust me, they are going to do all the work for you. They are going to do all the work for you. They are going to walk you through each and every step uh, of how they want to live their life, what impacts their life, what aspects of their sexuality are affected, or or how is it even correlated? How does their sexuality impact their or uh, impact their occupations? How the occupations have in turn impacted their sexuality and everything in gen- in general. But all of this would not happen if, like you said. If I if if I make uh, weird faces, if I sort of just start <laughs> chuckling in between when they have actually made a serious point, it it makes no sense. But but I'm also not saying that if they crack a joke, have a straight face. Yeah, they cracked a joke. That would be Appreciate even more it. awkward. <laughs> even if it was a horrible one. I feel, I, know, I feel attacked. It, even if it's even if it's horrible. <laughs> No, but I think I, I do. It, it, it does turn into a fun conversation. And I think 
that is one of the things. So uh, I do get a lot of uh, people across, like internationally, even if I've been able to reach clients, is because of Instagram, right? And when people see me on Instagram, they 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 look at this very proper person who who talks really properly and you know is going to be very serious, extra compassionate. Not that I am not, but when clients actually when we get on a call, they're like, "You are nothing that I thought you would be," and that's really comforting to know because they know that I am not this superhuman who is trying to figure out everything and it's going to fix everything. But I am a human, and I'm a person who's going to have a friendly chat with them, and try to meet them at the best functional level that they want me to be. And that's, and that that is how it should be. You need not have all the answers. It's impossible. Like I said, it's impossible to have all the answers. It's impossible to have all the interventions laid out. It's impossible to know everything in the world. It's, it's impossible. But you can always strive. You're all trying. But the idea is to try and starts always always with you i don't even know how we could finish that off any better <laughs> are there any resources obviously you have your instagram we'll give that a shout out but are there any resources um anything you think people that are interested in exploring or hearing more about this might be interested in also checking out uh, so the, the website is basically a great place to start with. Um, it's separated into different sections of blog where I definitely talk a lot, but there's also a separate section of resources and tips where I do curate resources, not just written by occupational therapists, but from everybody in the field of sexuality, uh, educators, counselors, sex therapists, and everybody else. It's just to give a perspective and it's always great it's always a great place to start learning. So um, you won't find a lot of interventions. That's, that's That would be unethical if you start finding interventions online. But uh, it's definitely it's definitely a great place to start with and a great place to start thinking um, and having more conversations with yourself and make others uncomfortable at the same time. So I think that's, that's really a great place to start with. And the website is? sexloveandot.com so it is s-e-x-l-o-v-e and o-t.com beautiful and you can find you at sexloveandot on instagram as well and i will throw yes you can before they before they delete my account you should find me there yeah yeah instagram's having a bit of a i don't know what a a life crisis Um, or something Fruits. Fruits is the They're sexualizing thing. too many things that aren't sexualized. My drop. My That's, drop. I would, but it's expensive. No, don't do that. Yeah, no, don't do that. It'd be very loud too. Uh, so yeah. I will throw links to those. Yeah. I will throw links to those in the show notes as well for people to go and check your content out. I tried to non sexualize nice. that. See? Nice, See very good, brilliant, brilliant, Brock. <laughs> I've trained you well. You I've have. trained you well. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to occupiedpodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. 
And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied. One last question. Why do you yeah. hate spiders? Ew! Just no. Ugh. Ew! <laughs> I had to. I hate you. <laughs> oh my God. Ew! I hate you. You're such a bad liar. No, but no, but seriously. <laughs>